Good evening and welcome to this episode 18 of the South African Equestrian Federation's podcast from the horse's mouth. Tonight, our great pleasure to be interviewing somebody who is flying the South African flag high in Europe as a show jumper and international competitor and trainer. It is none other than Oliver Lazarus, um, having hailed from South Africa originally and being based in Europe now for the last 18 years, but having traveled there since the age of 12, I believe, Oliver. Um, let's hand over to Oliver to tell us about what it takes to shine on the big stage overseas and the welfare efforts that he is still involved with back home. Oliver, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So I'm, I'm devastated that we missed you on your last trip to South Africa. I believe you said you flew home on Sunday. Yeah, it was a quick one. Uh, I just need a little regroup, a bit of sun, warm weather, <laughs> touch base, family, friends, and a few glasses of wine too. Yeah, excellent. Yeah. We can always send some over for you, Oliver. Um, Oliver, where are you based at the moment? I'm based in Falkenford, so South, South Netherlands. Uh, been here since 2017. Um, yeah, so six years now. This will That's be the sixth year. And are those your own stables that you own and run under your 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 label, basically? Yeah. Uh, so under our company, Team Equest. Uh, so me and my wife, uh, we run the stables here. We have 27 boxes, indoor apartments. Um, so we offer a sort of full turnkey. Um, sort of structure. So if someone wants to come in here, it's not easy always in Europe. If you don't know the way things work, you don't have an accountant or a secretary to do the bookings um, or, you know, to rent apartments and that. So we can sort of, we can sort of do everything for you from the apartments to your paperwork, stabling, and the best of everything for the horses from, from the ground, paddocks, stables. Yeah. So we sort of offer everything. That's, that's a really nice offering for people to be able to come over and take advantage of that. Is it specifically yeah. targeted at South Africans or is it for people from around the world? No, it's it's there's no target. It's for, for it's for anyone. I mean, we have now quite an international sort of crew at the moment. We have Sweden, a Swedish rider, Bruno Hellström, who just qualified for the World Cup finals. Um, we have Karina Johan Peter, who's Brazilian, um, and uh, Alexander Thornton, so a British rider. So it's pretty international. That's great. Yeah. So, Oliver, you technically shouldn't need any introduction, but for the benefits of the people who are dialing in, who are maybe endurance riders and tent peggers, and we've got quite a disciplined variety in the South African Equestrian Federation. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what your career highlights are, your your elevator speech, quickly. Elevator. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's go. Um, I guess the, I've represented South Africa through ponies, juniors, senior colours. Uh, did my first Senior Nations Cup in Lisbon when I was 18 years old. Um, done three world championships. Um, I've pretty much competed on every major league in around the world. I've competed in the States, in Asia. Um, I've done World Cups. I've jumped on the Global Champions League. I've jumped on, you know, used to be Nations Cup Super Leagues, now it's Longines Super Leagues. Um, you know, from everything from one star to five star, young horses, national shows, uh, Bundes Championships, um, clinics. I've done clinics all around the world from California to Australia to Asia again. So yeah, I've had quite a varied um, quite a very quite career. A very and, and profound career. I mean, that's quite impressive. Yeah. Um, you yeah, said you yeah. started traveling overseas when you were 12. How did that come about? Yeah, so um, yeah, I was very lucky. I mean, you know, to progress through the pony ranks, uh, my mom made me do all sorts of disciplines. So I've done showing, eventing, um, equitation. Uh, she said it was good for the ring craft and you know, the understanding I of all the disciplines. I think she was right. Which yeah. She's probably right. <laughs> don't, don't tell her that. Um, <laughs> And then I got uh, Trevor Lovegreen took me over on a on a on a pony team when I was 11 to Scotland, so that was the sort of first big break. 
came back and he phoned me up. He said, there's an Olympic British show jumper coming to your clinic. Uh, you've got to get up to Joburg. So I sent the pony up. I arrived there to the clinic and he offered me to go and sort of train with him. So I think I was 11 or 12 at the time. And then I'd take my go, go over in my school um, holidays. Incredible. Take work with me, have a tutor over there. And then, yeah, so I was doing sort of six months there, six months at home. Yeah. Was the pony, was the horse bug just always part of your DNA? Like, do you ever remember like it being a conscious thing that you started loving horses and show jumping? Or did you just kind of grow up with uh, it? I was sort of, you know, mom used to do, to do a sort of eventing and, and the drag hunts in, in Cape Town. So I was always around horses and sort of farm life. Um, so it's always, you know, it's always been a thing I've done. And then I think when you're young, you know, you, you sort of like anything you're relatively successful at. So I had quite moderate success in the showing and the eventing and, and, and this and that. So it was always I'm, fun. I'm just me. fascinated by the idea that you were a showing rider. We just said horse of the year here. And someone was standing behind me and they were going, oh, yeah. God, it's like watching paint dry. This is the worst. And yeah. I actually quite like showing. But that's that's fascinating. And I think it's really good that you had that very rounded foundation in your in your youth. Yeah, I mean, I think my very first Western Province colors were actually for showing. So I was 98 Jeez. in Worcester. I was 10 years old or whatever. And, uh, yeah, so it was my first time to sort of get a taste of, of uh, provincial competition. Um but I played all sports. I mean, I did a lot of skateboarding, surfing, played a bit of rugby, uh, golf, and tennis. I, I love all different sports. And then you, the older I think you, get, you also like flying, don't you? I love flying. Yeah. So that's my horses, and then my second big passion is flying. Yeah. Which is ironic because a lot of horse people spend time flying inadvertently, you know, just off of horses. Well, that's why I did it, you know, because we're <laughs> traveling. And they're like, I'm, I'm on a plane from Thursday to Sunday, I come back, and then if I have to go and try a horse in Normandy or Hamburg, and it's just it's just consistent travel. So my idea was, you know, get my pilot's license, and if I can oh, fly myself great. around Northern Europe, the sort of business and pleasure together would, oh, would be the dream. Makes it a lot easier. What was what yeah. do you think really helped you? What was important in your in your competitive youth that really helped you besides having enormous talent, which is insufferable? I'm not gonna hold it against you. Mm -hmm. But um, what what really came to your aid there? Like, what was the order? Like, the support from your from your parents, or having access to great coaches, great ponies? I think I was very very lucky. I've had great ponies, great coaches. But on a young age, I mean, there's that the grit and determination, and, and really wanting it. But without your parents or that big support behind the family, it's not going to happen. Because mm. you know they still have to. Even if you're a football, they have to drive you to practice. Um, they have to buy you the equipment. They have to navigate. You know, speaking to trainers and owners and buying horses for you because as a young kid or a teenager, I mean, you're not capable to, to deal with those things. So there's the business sense and the logistical side of it and then the financial side of it. So they have to sort of navigate that for you. So without okay. that support, uh, it's not going to happen. Yeah. yeah. So, so was the move to Europe always inevitable for you? Um, I remember my mom sitting me down. We bought a, a famous pony in South Africa, the Walt Disney Kiss Me, and it was for a lot of money at the time. Now, when we look back on it, it looks it looks looks like, like a, a joke. joke. But at the time, it was fun. <laughs> and she said to me, "Listen, now we have to spend this money, and we have to be serious, you know. So, you know, you have to slow down with the, you know, if we're going to do this with the rugby and the skateboarding, the BMXing is all fun. But if you get injured and this and that, so you have to focus now. And we're going to oh, do no. this seriously if you want it. And I don't mind to go and support you, but then you have to want it. Absolutely, I want it." And so from there, I think, was the main thing. And that's also when I slowed down with the other disciplines and sort of mainly started to focus on show jumping. Um, and then from then on, like I said, it just it just kept snowballing. Once I got into Europe as a 12-year-old, uh, I remember going to the World Cup finals in 2001 to watch. And I remember just sitting on the stand thinking, this is what I want, you know, the public and the big jumps. Um, and thinking, I remember the course was being built. And I thought, there's no chance horses come over this, these jumps. They're too big. 
Um, and then, of course, they do it easily. Mm. Um, but the, the bug was there, and it, it's and whatever. I had a little cassette of Milton the Millionaire, so John Whitaker and Milton, and used to watch that a lot. And I just couldn't believe the crowds. And I'm a guy that rides on. To be honest, I love horses, but I don't know if I would ride full time if I didn't have that that excitement. You know, yeah. I love that's ride sort of for, for the excitement of it and the pressure and the nerves. And, you know, I think that's yeah. that's also having that big match temperament. It's it's. I remember speaking to somebody who said they walked their first Olympic track and they went, oh, "I couldn't, I can't wait to do it." And I was I was thinking like yeah. I just wanted to vomit. You know, I thought that was awful. But I think yes, it comes down to that that. Ringcroft again, the showing title from 1998, Oliver. Thank you, PJ. Yeah. <laughs> so, so where were you initially based when you moved to Europe? And and I think you said you moved right out of matric. Yeah, so I did. I did a few years in the UK from sort of 12 up until 17. Then finish matric. I did two years in one, so I finished one year early. Did one full year in the UK, and then I moved over to Germany to Riesenbeck when I was just turning 18. I was in Germany nine years. I've been a bit everywhere. I've been in Belgium two years, and now I've been in the Netherlands for the last six years. Yeah. And have you followed your trainers mostly, or have you have you just been looking for somewhere central? Um, so you know, in the UK was my trainers. It was first with Jeff Billington and then David McPherson. Um, then, then the riding also took a bit of a not a serious turn as wrong because it was already very serious. But then you realize how big what a business it is. It's not about training. And then I got a job. So then I started working for Ludger Beva. I'm a German rider. And then from then on, it was, it was business. Yeah. I mean, Ludger's just really like world-class, top-shelf stuff, right? Um, I'm so, I'm Lexi so... Stace is there now, I think. She was with Marcus uh, and uh, Meredith Beerbaum. So Ludger's okay. brother and sister. Yeah. That's pretty, yeah. pretty fantastic. What are the pros yeah. and cons of being based in Europe? And I'm, I'm really just thinking more about the, the realities of it. You know, so a lot of people, yeah. it's it's always very glamorous. You know, we're always looking at the Jilly Cooper riders version of of the equestrian scene, but that's that's not really the reality of it a lot of the time. Well, I mean, the glamorous side, of course, is what you see on the TV and the, and the championships, the big crowds, the VIPs, the beautiful horses, the brilliant riding. That's amazing, and that's of course why you ride to get that buzz and that feeling. But that's such a small minority. You know, most people never ever achieve that or even get close to it. Um, the reality is cold weather, very, very expensive, hard work, um, and realizing that there's a lot of good riders, you know, and there's people that are very talented, they're going to work harder than you and, and be, you know, and so that is the reality, the, the, that last bit, you, and I don't think you should focus on that last bit, and, you know, I'm speaking to a mental coach at the moment and chatting about it, and, you know, we, f we tend to focus on the winning and the gold medals and that little pinnacle, but you you know you're going to be frustrated your whole life, and you got to sort of look at the focus. So the the reality is, young horses riding for very little money, staying in bad accommodation, um, but at the same time, it's a process, and you're building up. And hopefully, if you have a good job or a good boss, those young horses are going to get older, and one day, if you ride well and you produce them, you're going to have that chance to shine. So it's it's a process, and if you look at it just dreaming about the top sport, it's, you're going to be unhappy, and it's never going to happen. So you've got to look at it as a lifestyle, and really accept. Uh, what it is, you know, unless you have a huge amount of money when you really kind of fast track everything mm -hmm. and you just go and have the best training and you buy the best horses and you can pay yourself the best shows, of course, that's one way of doing it and, and the sport is going a lot more like that, so it's pretty close to Formula 1 now so there is that track, but if you don't have the finance to do it, it is still a way but it's very difficult Absolutely. but you're going to be unhappy if you're only focusing on that last spot, you have to go if you'll come here with the 
with the expectation this is a lifestyle and this is the lifestyle I've chosen. Yeah, so that's the reality. It. It's a t- it's an embrace. It's a you know you get to work. You know when I think when I'm tired or bored or whatever or you know everyone's if you get paid for anything or something you're always you know there's times when you wake up and you're bored and I think I don't want to go to the stable today I don't want to ride and that's normal. Um, you know that you have to in general love the lifestyle because absolutely that's what it is. You know. What are the what are the best parts about being based based there besides the competition? You know, like I, I remember Dominique coming back from when he went over for the World Cup and he said, Oh, do you know why those horses jump like that? Because they can. And he was just yeah. so obviously also as a breeder, he was he was mm-hmm. like so high off of that. What are some of the other yep. highlights of being based there for you? I guess the highlights are it, the pool is so big. You know, so it's even watching, there's like, there's fantastic riders who will never even make it onto the TV or the five-star shows to even appreciate what they can do with horses and watch, watch their talents. Um, and then the pool as a breeder and as, as, as producing young horses to watch quality young horses. And, and definitely I see a huge improvement in the last sort of five to 10 years. The quality of the horses now is out of this world. That's I mean, you crazy. can go it's crazy just watch. seeing how, how constantly yeah. it improves. The dedication to breeding is so yeah. fascinating. Phenomenal. Um, and so the sheer size of it, and then you see the facilities now are amazing. I mean, we have Pilberg down the road. We have Centaur, which is Oblebeck. You have Lear. You have a new place called Döner. I mean, those are four world-class facilities within an hour drive from us. And they have indoors, outdoors, VIP places, restaurants. So it's, it's, I guess it's the sheer size. The other cool thing, I mean, I guess not horse-related, but we get to connect with people from all around the world. Yes, absolutely. And it's always Diversity, people that, yeah. like, I have diversity and it's it's super cool i have friends on the west coast of the states the east coast you know one of my best mates lives in beijing australia new zealand and you get this really really cool contact so like pretty much anywhere i travel in the world or in the city i can text somebody and say hey buddy i'm in town gonna go for that's dinner lovely. yeah that's really cool so you know also from, from a horse side but from a cultural aspect it's pretty nice yeah just to go towards the the coaching side of things i'm really impressed to hear you saying that you're working with a mental coach at the moment I also love, though, that you yep. say that you just love that big atmosphere at the shows. You know, it's, it's, it's like you're either born for the stage or you aren't. But obviously, you've realized the value of a mental coach. Um, do you mind, like, just sharing a little bit about the value of that? Yeah, I mean, like any person, if you're going to put – everyone gets nervous, you know, and, and has butterflies and anxiousness, and it's just, I guess, how we deal with it and we accept and I think a lot of people, when I hear people, I don't get nervous. I say, I'm calling bullshit. You know, it's, it's, yeah. of course you get nervous. You know, people feel, you, it, some way or another, you have to feel it. Um, it's just how you deal with things. And, so, and for me, it was actually the reason I was speaking to a mental coach. I struggle a little bit with the process of putting all this work in. And then when things are not going right, I'm a, I'm a bit of a bad loser. <laughs> it's good to hear it happens to the best of us. Okay. Oh, wow. Terrible, you know, uh, but I'm trying to find a way to accept that, you know, I think the, the win percentage is so tiny, especially yeah. with show jumping. Um, so you're going to be essentially unhappy most of your life. So I'm trying to work <laughs> on be a little more happy em- when we don't win. The- <laughs> I like that. Embracing being unhappy for the large majority of your Pretty life. Free. Exactly. Okay. So okay. Much. Being unhappy in the process. I like that. <laughs> I feel like horse, horse yeah. owners and riders are unhappy a lot of the time. So that's. that's There's um... always they're lame. They're not- <laughs> well, someone you and i mean so i'm trying to for me that's my biggest struggle okay um, and then of course you're know, getting nervous and, and accepting that that's a normal it's a human trait and the reason we're nervous is because we care for things mm-hmm. you know you're not getting nervous to, to butter your bread or something like this in the morning it's because you don't it's irrelevant actually you know mm-hmm. putting the kettle on but you show jumping you put all this work and the money and the effort 
this passion and your dream for your whole life, it, it's normal that you're going to feel things. So if I can get it's a essential to feel things, you know, it's 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 ultimately what does motivate you. Normal, and it makes things for me. It makes things clearer. I mean, and I always look back on that, like you know, to be anxious or why it's, it's a weird, mm. a weird thing. But then I love it, you know, and it's something I thrive on. Uh, um, yeah, so that's. It's what I what's what I need in life. Everyone is different, um, and then if I can speak to someone to help me understand this or control it better, or to help me in it, even if it's a one or two percent, why not? I'd be stupid not to. Yeah. Great. No, I think I think we're really moving into a space in the sport where the mental health of the horses and the riders are, is is really becoming really valued. So while you were in in South Africa recently, I believe you also taught a little bit. What are some of the core principles to your training philosophy for both horses and riders, regardless of their level? Yeah, so I think the basic, like I do say in my clinics and everything, it doesn't matter if you're riding a Grand Prix horse or a young horse, the basics are the basics. And I see time and time again and anywhere in the world, people try and complicate training, I think, way too much. And it's actually, I'm not, it's pretty simple stuff. You know? we, we, we're sitting <laughs> on an animal, we're sort of aiming at jumps. It, it's not... You can complicate it, complicate it and talk about it as much as you want, but the basics are the basics, you know? You need to go forward, backwards, left and right, um, and to have a good distance on the jump and have rhythm. So I try to implement this. And so I start off on my dressage with good tempo, high tempo, so we get sort of everyone in a rhythm. And then the jumping, not too big, keep it easy, and, it, you know, confidence. So that's pretty much how I, how I train. That's great. Um, I don't, you know, I, don't, I try to simplify riding. Maybe, mm. and it's how I deal with things in my head. If I even walk like a course of the World Championships, if you hear me talk or someone standing next to me, it's it's not, I don't even think about the numbers actually. So, I mean, when I initially walk it, maybe I say it's six and seven and five and four, whatever. But then in my head, I'm talking just about staying outside, staying inside, short or long. That's pretty much, pretty much it. Yeah. The, Oliver, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying simplicity is not the best training philosophy, but that also does sound like it's spoken by someone with a lot of innate talent. I'm just saying. Um, <laughs> specific to high performance. Yeah. Ah, I, re I remember Dominique saying, or, or someone saying that they were training with Gonda as well, Gonda Beatrix, and she said, well, can't you, see, can't you see a stride from here? And they were like, it's eight strides away. And she was like, can you not see that? They were like, can you? Like, <laughs> you know, but, but uh, anyway. Specific to high performance, so now, now, like just climbing up, up the ladder of of those like really big open classes. Is there anything that you feel is sometimes overlooked by riders when preparing for those events? Well, I think you know a lot of people have the misconception. My opinion: when you ride big classes, the the speed and the tempo that people ride at, and they always get shocked if you go to Aachen or one of the big World Cups and you see the the tempo of the turn because the mm -hmm. time is so short. So I think a lot of people are not really used to that last level. And even me, if I haven't jumped a five-star in a long time, and I go to my first five-star, not that uh, I don't know the course and I don't know what I'm up against and I know all the riders, but it's still, you're out of it, you know? You're mm -hmm. a little out of it. It's, it's so quick. The guys are taking the first distance everywhere. If you take an extra somewhere, you've got a time penalty, you know? And then Absolutely. the jump-offs, let's say you're clear here in a World Cup or a Grand Prix, whatever it is, a big class, the jump-offs, you think you're fast and you're like two, three, four seconds behind the guy. Yeah. It's just because they're doing week in, week out. So the tempo is, is probably the biggest, the biggest thing that's underestimated and, and you don't realize yeah. until you step up into that level. The horses, you, the time is so tight, you're riding at the jumps. Mm. If you're having to protect and 
hold them all the time, then you're you're already done. Yeah, we've actually we yeah. actually saw that in the last um, derby, which you know, of course, is like a highlight of the show jumping calendar in South Africa. Yep. Um, the best and only clear round that's that happened in the first round um, landed up getting a time penalty, just because yep. you know. And so it's really interesting to hear that you're absolutely right. Um, and that's the way has gone you know the horses are quicker now they're much lighter mm. types you don't see these old-fashioned buildings where the jumps are lighter you know and the times are tighter and that's the way they're catching them up they can't get any bigger i mean mm. the horses just do it easily sorry i've got a dog <laughs> can, can we see the dog yeah. is that is, is you it... can see it it's winston oh hello winston i think i'm gonna have to make there this the central parts to the podcast where we meet everyone's dogs yeah. there he is and that's uh Rick Lazarus in the background there. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> Hello. Like I was telling, I was telling a friend in South Africa the other day. It's, it's my weird humor. I think it's funny to, to name the animals with my surname. Uh, but I mean, how else would you know, you know what to put in their passport if they were, you know, humans? Go out tonight and your dog. As long as they're not getting mail addressed to Mr. Lazarus and it causes confusion. <laughs> Um, Oliver, I, I believe you made some some welfare efforts while you were here in South Africa, which I just really love, and I think it's really important for the sport. Would you mind telling us a little bit about those? Well, I, I don't do much at all, really, but uh, we just went there to visit the Cartels Association in, in Somerset West, and just amazing what they do, you know, and you see the ponies there, and the number, I was sure, you know, the number of them that are there, and they, you know, they cost money, people have to feed them and look after them. Um, and that they need help, you know. So I think if anyone wants to follow or help a cause, it's a wonderful cause for horse people. Thanks. Um, yeah. And then you know, brave people that put themselves on the line there. I mean, and they are really doing something. They're on the front line and they're doing something. I think a lot of associations, you give your money, you don't know where it goes. But there you can go and visit them and you can go and see. And I mean, and you hear the stories about them. And now they look happy and they look relaxed and they've got a big belly. Yeah. And I think that's wonderful. And it's funny, like I told my groom when I came back, Michaela, and I said, you know, in Europe, this industry is all about finance and money and winning and Grand Prix and all that, that crap. And it's actually not, it's not the real thing. You know, the real thing while we all started riding is that love of the horse. And then you go there and you see people that are not doing it for any of that. They're not famous. They're not, they're just doing it for the good of the horse. So I think it was really important. It was a nice, it was a bit of uh, a bit of grounding and humble, humbleness come back here and then you're sort of, you're up for it. So no, wonderful association. So if anyone wants to do something with help, it's a cool thing to follow. Thanks. We'll drop a link to that when we when we share the podcast. Yeah. I think that's really great. Yeah. I must say, I do feel sometimes like that high end competition feels a little bit like the Hollywood of you know the world. It's um... that's the thing, you know. And the guys, like I said, it, it's so it's it's so nearly in some ways sad. It's so superficial, you know. There's a lot of cutthroat business, and I think sometimes this old horsemanship and the love of the horse is a little bit dying in some way. Mm. People are more for winning Grand Prix than the actual yeah. the world for the horse at time. So that's something we definitely, for the future of the sport and the next generation, I hope we can somehow change things and, and sort of head in that direction. That's why maybe I, I mean, my dream is to win an Olympic gold medal, but if that never happens, even if I can, someone can say, you know, I'll come to my set and say, Oliver, at least there's all his horses go in the field and he rides them out in the woods twice a week. And he, if that's all it is, my sort of weird little legacy or whatever it is, if that's all it is, then I'm happy with that because that's, that's that's what it's about. And I think a lot of top horses don't go in the fields, and this and I totally against it. Yeah. Yeah. Um. You. I. I want to talk about the things that you do to keep your horses mentally, um, healthy, because I think then you you become the equivalent of your horse's mental coach. 
but um, you, you touched on like basically the environment of high-end competition. What are some of the issues that you feel are facing international competition? And I'm very mindful about the fact that there have been these protests and streakers and all sorts of exciting things. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, the high end of the sport, I mean, the horses get looked after better than, than anybody, you know? Um, I have to say that. And the love and the, and the passion of the, some of the grooms, I mean, it's incredible. Um, they're family, you know? So the horses get the osteos, they get the physios, they get nutritionists, they get everything what you could possibly want. So that side of it is brilliant now, you know? And the veterinary side of it, I think that side we're really up to speed with. The, the thing with, like, everything in life, it's getting quicker and faster all the time, is the amount of shows which is good because there's amount of people and our sports are growing and the numbers are just outrageous. You can go to the Sunshine Tour, you can go to Oliva, you can go to Arezzo. They are full, thousands of horses. Sure. And then there's still the big leagues, the World Cups and the two four stars and the three stars and they're all full. <clears throat> so you have this huge amount of people. So we need sh horse shows, which is of course brilliant. But, you know, you're getting more and more of these five stars. There's more and more pressure because it's so expensive for riders to win, for owners, you know, to earn money. And I think the horses were, was not in the past. You can show every single weekend throughout the year. So it's the sheer amount of wow. competition. And the horse is just not built to jump 160 every single weekend. And I think that's possibly why we're seeing quite a lot of injuries these days, because it's just the sheer amount of jumping they have to do. And Oliver, I'm quite uh, interested to hear that there isn't a limitation on how often, like I know with endurance, you can only enter a certain distance within a certain time from another distance. Sinisa in South yeah. Africa, you know, you're only allowed to do a certain amount of classes with a pony a day. Is there no limitation governing that? No. So on the FEI show, you're allowed to do three classes on the weekend. That's the only sure. sort of limited factor. But it's also, I mean, it plays in your hands if you want to go and jump too much and your horse gets injured. That's also a disaster. Mm. You know, so I think people are not... There's a fine line of, of doing too much, but, uh, you know, people are, you know, top riders, you're not going to go and jump yours every weekend because they're going to get injured and they yeah. can't, they just can't sustain. That level, of course, not. But still, even if it's not about even a cruelty thing, but I think that is definitely more competition, you know? And the jumps are bigger and more yeah. fast. You used to be able to jump a clear in a five-star Grand Prix or double clear and be in the top three. Now, you know, some of the World Cups and that, you can, there's 15, 16, 17 people clear in the first round. And then there's a big jump off and you don't, you don't end up with any money. So I think that the level has just got on such a high standard now that the guys, yeah. you know, you do chase them more than, more than in the past. So it does take a lot of other horses. I've heard things from the breeding, you know, we've bred them to be a little weaker now. They're so much, it's so evolved into the show jump. I'm not a breeder. I, I, don't, I don't know if that's true. Um, I do think that also, and I, I don't know if it's a scientific fact, but, you know, we all have this amazing ground, all these perfect grounds. And nearly, and maybe in some way, I think a lot of people, you know, we used to jump on grass and ride in, over ruts and in the woods and outrides. A lot of people don't do that anymore. Yeah, that's a really um, interesting so they're point. They're not cross-training enough almost on surfaces. No, no. A lot of my workouts with the horses, I try and have a varied workout. So I ride them in the woods on uneven grounds. Uh, we built a hill at home, three meters high, 25 meters long for inclination work for the joints and the muscles. So I try to mix it up as much as possible. A bit of road work. Um, yeah, it's just a bit of old horsemanship, I guess. Oh. The, old yeah. things, the old things never change. You know, the, the, the tried and tested truths that have helped so many people. And I suppose all we can do is hope that people keep looking to the people who are leading the logs and doing exceptionally well, but consistently well, to to follow their example and see how often they're jumping big, to your point. You know, it's, it shouldn't be every weekend. Yeah. yeah. I mean, guys like Peter Frederick, that's why I'm such a big fan of him, because I love that his horse is going there. You know, all in Allen is his best horse, his Olympic champion. I mean, he lives in the field, and I think that's so cool. So, you <laughs> know, lovely. for the younger generation, 
it doesn't have to be, you know, all the big, of course, nice big fancy stables and the bandages everywhere and this obsession, which you need, of course, because it's all the fine details. But also, at the end of the day, it's still a horse. Huh. And it doesn't matter if you're 10 million euro or, or one euro, it doesn't matter. You know, it's still got the same brain as the yeah. other one and it's still, it still poops and it eats and it's a it's, it's living animal, you know. So I think oh. that would be a really good thing if a lot of the top show jumpers could get behind and, and sort of push in that direction of it. Because I think, you know, some people have this imagination of what top sport is and they get a little bit lost in it. You know? mm. There's a lovely American trainer called Warwick Schiller who says that we've got to learn to love horses in horse language, not in human language. You know, we actively loving the horse was like a beautiful stable. And he's like, the horse would rather be in a field. Just leave it alone. Let it go out. Exactly. So all these fancy things, it's nice, of course. And the bank, the blankets. I mean, we have a beautiful stable, but. Makes us feel like better. Yeah. Exactly. And we have the, the training and the jumping and all this, but still riding him in the woods is just good. Yeah. What does South Africa need to pay attention to, to realistically develop the sports in our country? There's a few things, because it's not that we don't have the talent. You know, I've seen a lot of talented riders over the years. Um, I think, first of all, we need some, we need money, we need investment. So I think looking after the owners, I haven't been competing in South Africa for a long time, so I've just sort of maybe talking out of, out of thing here, but I think we've got to try to get behind the people that are going to put money into the sport and really try to rally around them and say, come on, guys, let, let's do this together, you know, because that's what it needs, finance. Yeah. So without finance, how good you are to some of the wealthy people or people that are interested to put money and get them around and try and get a team going in a funny way, like the UAE team just qualified for the Olympics and they have one of the shakers. He supports them and, okay, that's an extreme level. It's still, you need somewhere that you need some help, you know? So some of the guys that can never get out of South Africa, they need help. That's one thing, looking after the owners, you know. Um, then I think another thing, the breeders, if they could get behind some of the riders. Like top South African bred horses should be with top South African riders. I know it's a business and they need to be sold and this and that, but how cool would it be to have South African bred horses at championships? It would be pretty amazing, yeah. So I think, you know, you've got Germany, you've got Sweden, they're really behind the riders. And that, I'm not talking like everyone's going to say, oh, he's just wanting horses. No, no, then give it to the guys based in South Africa, but push it and promote it, you know? So you, you get that strong base because all the strongest countries in the world, it's all where the best breeding is. You know, Belgium, Holland, True. Germany, yeah. France. And they're Driving all the, the Formula riders, Ones, yeah. Only because they have the horsepower, you know? Mm -hmm. So if we could somehow get the breeders really behind in that way, I don't know how financially how, but that's maybe another way to do it. So getting our breeding very, very strong, which I think there's been a big push. And I've seen, you know, over the years, it's definitely growing some of the big guys. So that's brilliant. That's a yeah. huge push for our sport. And then the last thing is riding over here. You need, you know, as much as people ride well in South Africa and they can get the course builders there, it's not the same. It's, you need to be riding here on the highest level, experiencing warming up with Luger or Magazine or somebody in the warm-up with you, yeah. seeing... You know, no matter how good you are, there's a guy better than you, you know? And, and, you know, we have this wonderful life in South Africa, but you come here and you, it's good for you, especially when you're young. Small fish boxes. in a big pond, yeah. Yeah, it's good, uh, you know, to come here. And even if you don't like it, sacrifice two years. Go and come here and groom and ride young horses and clean the box and struggle a bit because it gives you this fighting, this mm. killer instinct. And I think so for the youngsters coming out, people that really want to really want to ride and ride on the highest level, I would say when you finish school, come over here. I'm not saying kill yourself your whole life, but give yourself a few years of hard work and try to then build something up. You if know, nothing so else, my three things, I have to tell you, local grooms, own, local grooms respect you a lot more if you know how to muck out your own stable as well. Of course. 
so I think it's that big thing, looking after the owners, you know, there should be things mm, in the magazines, absolutely. owner of the market, yeah. uh, making them famous too, because I'm not being horrible, someone to put a lot of money in, what do they want to come and sit in the mm. chair and eat a burger, or there's no, yeah. they should be looked after, you know, there should be IPs on the shows, and again, maybe they haven't been for, for a long time, and maybe, the, and I'm sure they have improved, but when I see here in Europe, some of the owners are looked after like gods, and, and they should be, because it's a lot of money. Absolutely. It's a, it's and the breeders, the breeders need to get the recognition. You know? The breeders, yeah. they should be sports breeders. They should be, and then that they, you know, they get a big push for it, and mm. and proud that also riding with the best African riders on the best shows in the world. That is, that's pretty cool. It's um, marketing as well, you know. It's it's marketing. Yeah. It's good, and that's definitely the breeding is a massive thing because when you have that structure, and then you have numbers, you know, and you have a real platform underneath. And we don't have to go and buy horses, and you can buy them for millions and millions. You you know, there's and there's numbers. It's a numbers game. And then the third thing, getting the youth over to Europe and, and getting stuck in, whether it's America, Europe, it doesn't matter, but coming over and experiencing huge numbers and people you've never seen before riding better than you. Yeah, yeah quite humbling, I'm sure. Um, won't yeah. you tell us a little bit about who your, your, not necessarily your top horses, but your most exciting horses are? And I know you mentioned an Olympic gold in your future. would love to hear what your other aspirations are for them. So I have a small team of horses. Um, we just purchased three young horses at the moment that I think are really exciting. Um, one little mare, I don't know if she's the last sort of Grand Prix level, but a wonderful 150 horse. Two others, Carlos and I call him Tim. The stable names. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Tim's Augmenteros Z, but we call him Tim. Okay. So Tim and Tim and Carlos, they're very exciting. They're young. They're six year old, um, but they're definitely something for the future. Um, they have everything what, what I like in horse intelligence. I ride generally a, whole, a sharp blood horse best. I struggle with a cold horse. Um, so they're both sensitive, sharp uh, animals. Um, I've got a very, very nice nine-year-old from Shokomola uh, stables. Um, you know, that's something very special. Super, super hot at the moment. So it's like a rocket's been lit off. So I don't have all the control, but he's got all the scope and he's a really interesting guy. I think he's something... If I could try to get this spot for next year in Paris, he could be something that maybe sure. could be aimed towards, towards Paris. Be something very, very special. Um, and then I have the two older ones, I have Farnell, and then Butterfly, who I rode at, at the games, who's been my sort of my best horse over the last couple of years now. And we're still looking at the moment to try to purchase one more to, okay. to help it this year with the globe. Yeah. And is that so we're always like I remember, uh, Sean Henderson also went overseas, and he said you need quite a quite a string, you know, to give. To keep oh, your iron and to, yeah. you know, give you the presence at shows and things. My guide, that's so six horses on my string. Okay. And that's a very, very small number for a sure. professional rider. Oh. Yeah, yeah. So it's very, very small. Um, so over the next six months to one year, we'll add one or two onto that. Okay. So I'm looking at around eight would be a perfect number. Yeah. Is Tim's surname also Lazarus? Or is that just oh. for the dogs? Oh, okay. okay, just checking. I just wanted to, I was trying to suss out who the favorite animals are. Uh, you got to laugh at something. You come in the morning, it's cold. You got to have a laugh. <laughs> exactly. Um, what What are some of the the factors? I mean, we have spoken about stresses and everything that you need to consider to achieve these goals. And I was we've spoken a little bit about pers personal mindset and motivation, um, your mm -hmm. own fitness as as an athlete, and then sponsors and and keeping your horses sound. Like I mean, this is this is quite a holistic plan that you need to stay on top of. Oh, jeez. So you're like, I always say, right? You're like a CEO. So you're, so you're running your, that's, your, yeah, your company. Great. And there's so many different aspects. So that goes down to you know, our vet. He's a pretty Swiss vet. He's the Swiss team vet. Mark Odley, a very good, good friend of mine. I mean, he's here once a week. Um, we have our blacksmiths, um, uh, Paul. Um, we have our osteos. 
and physios. Um, we have our food companies. We have, it, it's all all these little aspects, you know, come to play. Um, that's the sort of basic running of it. Me as a fitness, um, I, I run every day. I love running. It's a way I deal with even not the, the physical, uh, me it's a mental thing for me too. So on the championship, if I'm getting nervous or I've had a bad day, I go for a run. It helps me clear my head. And then physically, I love eating and, and drinking. So I don't believe <laughs> So you diet. have to run. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so, I, so I love uh, running for me. I refuse to diet. So I'm, I'm six foot one and I need to stay light. So for me, running is, is the easiest way to do it. Okay. Um, then I also I kickbox uh, once a week, um, and that's more of the because I'm the stiffest man alive. So it's try to get me flexing and and stretching. Um, eating wise, we tr I try to live a pretty healthy lifestyle. I could be a vegetarian. I mean, my wife is obsessed with meat and steak and things, so it's not allowed. But um, I love eggs, avocado, a lot of salads, quinoa. Um, I wake up in the morning. I have normally oats and sort of things like this. Lunches, open sandwiches, and then. It's a very healthy stuff now. We throw in a little chocolate bar in the night. It's not the bad at McDonald's all. Or pizza. Oh, okay, yeah, okay. That took a that, that took a sharp turn. No, there's a little. <laughs> there's always a little stuff on the side, but but in general, try try to be healthy. You know, yeah. because you know, you want to play on that last level. We put all this money and all this effort, and and then, like I said, it's these little aspects. So if it would make a fool of me if we spend all this money, hard work, people putting effort in, and I'm too overweight. You know, or I'm eating unhealthy and mm. drinking too much and partying. It's not there. It, it, you know, when you're young, and I remember starting on the big shows, I used to go wild and party before the Grand Prix, and then you wake up feeling terrible. I'm sure Penny's <laughs> not listening to this. Penny, switch off, switch off the oh, YouTube channel. No. <laughs> she knows, she knows. And uh, and then you get older, and it, it's just not possible anymore, mm. you know? I remember Luke Bierbaum uh, speaking about the difference that having two kilos less on his body made to his horses. And oh, I thought, huge. Like, yeah. if I go kilo up I, I don't feel good at all when i'm riding i can feel it straight away sure. and it's not that i'm obsessive but i just know as soon as i put a little bit of weight on it, it i don't feel good that's why you know i run and i try to kick box and stay active mm. um yeah and then to be fit in body and mind and that's why i have the mental coach now and i'm trying to do all these little pieces and maybe they don't help but maybe they do yeah. if you think they help they do so exactly. I, I know for someone who says that it's more, it's less about the bandages and more about keeping things simple and good training principles, but everyone always loves to know, like, what are some of your favorite pieces of tack or equestrian must-haves? Yeah. <laughs> I keep it very simple. I ride only with, like, the same bits. I love gags. So I guess that's the must-have in my tack okay. uh, box. Gags go everywhere, you know. Uh, so I ride everything also with two reins, so a lot of reins. I hate riding with one rein. Uh, what are the must-haves? I love my Renaissance saddle. Oh, okay. That's good. Yeah, I don't so think that's a brand we days. have in South Africa. It comes under prestige. Oh, okay. Um, but it's uh, the, the guy, Frederick Butte sort of made them under the under the prestige banner, so they're called Renaissance. So they're hard. They're still French. They're beautiful and soft, but they're the hard wearing of the prestige. So I like them very much. Uh, I'm, I'm not embarrassed to say, but I was one of these guys that never wore a helmet. Never. Jumped young horses, did everything, and I have pictures of me. I think it was even yeah. 2010, 2011, even on international shows. No helmet. Right. Then the helmet thing came in, and then a couple of years ago, I started wearing a helmet. No, I never get on a horse without a helmet. Bought my mm -hmm. wife an airbag for Christmas, <laughs> and I thought, wow, this looks like turtles, you know. <laughs> we bought these young yeah. horses, and I <laughs> and I got on one of them, and they were super naughty one day, and I thought, you know, I'm too old. <laughs> went to put the airbag on. <laughs> <laughs> I ride, I ride with an. 
That's great. I'm glad to hear that. And you've got a you've got a little daughter now, so you actually it's it would be yeah. selfish not to. So I, I don't do it at home, but it, when I jump, the young horses I always put it on, and then okay. on the shows I wear it. Yeah. So, so you I spoke... guess that's the new the airbag. That's good. I like it. Um, mm. So you spoke a little bit about the woods and the turnout for your horses. Is this what you do to keep your horses happy horses, happy athletes? Yeah, so I believe, um, uh, you know, there's always the argument, of course, a good horse is a good horse and a good rider is a good rider. So it sounds as terrible as if you don't put them in the field, they're still going to jump. But I don't believe in that, you know. Mm. I still believe if you have my, my horses and my family, they're my friends. So, you know, I still will meet if I go and do a night check, whatever, I go and hang out in the stable. And maybe after work, I'll go and lay in front of the barn with them and just, just let them sniff me. So I like to have that connection. Some riders are different. You know, if you have a massive stable, you can't have that connection. But I believe... That's a huge part of it. So they're my friends. I mean, then secondly, all the horses go in the paddocks um, because, you know, they're horses. And I think there is definitely studies that show that a horse in the definitely. field is much sounder horse than one in the, in the stable. They're moving the whole time. They're getting active. Their gut's working because they're eating grass. Mm. So I love it that they're out. So it's not only physical, but also mental. Um, and then in the work, very, very varied work. Like even in the winter, I'm, I get embarrassed if I ride a few days in the indoor too much. And I think the poor thing has been indoors. It's gone on the no, walker. True. It's in the stable. Yeah. So I try to get out as much as possible, even if it's cold. So it's in the woods. We have a gallop track. I go on the gallop track. We have a hill. I work on the hill. A bit of road work. So just a lot of varied stuff. That's really, you know, really physically, good. Yeah. Yeah. The FEI has launched this Equine Ethics and Wellbeing Commission, which is aimed at basically trying to suss out you know, the, how good the industry is for horses. And it's just interesting, one yep. of their basic um, things that they, they're recommending for horses is just turnout time. They said something everyone could do today that would really improve the quality of life and the physical soundness, to your point, of, um, of their horses. No, absolutely. I mean, it makes sense. If we sit on the table the whole day and then you get on and you ride that intensity for an hour, you're setting yourself up for disaster and then standing for another 22 hours in the box. It, mm. doesn't, it doesn't make sense, you know. What no. is your favorite show or event? And why? I was thinking about I don't know. Um, indoors, it would probably have to be Gothenburg. Nice. I think just Swedish crowd are insane. And you're warming <laughs> up and you hear the stadium pumping. Just cool. It's like top, top high-end sport. Uh, and that was last weekend, so it's a very, very cool one. Outdoors are difficult. I think anywhere. I mean, I've never, unfortunately, rode Aachen, but I still, like, I've been around this my whole life, and I still get excited to drive to Aachen. Yeah. And like you park and it's pumping and the atmosphere is going and it's just another world. I mean, I go home like motivated and excited. So I'd say I've never ridden Aachen, but definitely Aachen must be the show of the. Oh, and then championship, because that's the experience I do have. It's not necessarily one show, but championships at Olympics or world championships. I mean, that is the ultimate thing. I mean, to arrive there and all the flags are going, the stables are full, and the more you sort of progress through the days. It goes more quiet and more quiet. And then when you get to the individual final, it's just the top 25 or 30 people in the whole world. All the barns are empty. And it's, it's just something that you can't, can't describe. And that's, uh, that's electric. That's, that's the best shows in the world. Yeah. Yeah. You talk about that big atmosphere. And then I always laugh when we come to like a little dressage show in South Africa. And we're shouting at people for opening a knickknack packet too loudly. You know? yeah. uh, yes, I, I think to your point, we've got to get overseas and realize what's, what goes into it. Um, so yeah, I have... it, but it, but it's again, it's all relative. You know, you I, you can get nervous for little dressage tests on the you know young horse because I watched a really cool interview in a, a documentary with a guy called Alex Hammond, a free climber, and they were talking about again nerves and pressures and fears. 
And like for someone to look at El Capitano, he he free climbs it with no ropes. And they said that looks for me like a nightmare, the biggest fear in the world. And for him, he said it looks something beautiful. It's Lovely. it's just it's, it's the unknown. Yeah. You, don't, you don't know what it is, you know. So for someone that does dressage all the time and in a big stadium to go to a small ring, of course it's not scary because it, it it's no but for someone mm. that's doing a young horse or a bit excited, doesn't ride professionally and, and there's a few people watching, this is the unknown. You know, maybe the horse, I don't know if the horse yeah. is gonna misbehave or the, the packet's going to open, and this is what you fear. So it's, it's the unknown you fear. Yeah. It's the experience. Yeah, yeah and be kind to yourself. Um, so I yeah. need to ask you about um, the most disastrous show that you've had. <laughs> There's so many. <laughs> well, I was particularly um, having a good laugh with your mother, Penny, early on, who says I have mm. to ask you about when you forgot your course when you were working for Lutka. She says so, and unfortunately, there's so many times, but that was a shocker. <laughs> I was Dortmund. Was that the night after one of your parties? Yeah, I tell you, she's a disaster. <laughs> I woke, I, this is the, the last jump in the, the Grand Prix. Oh, no. And was through what I thought was the finish, and I was clear, and the people whistling and crying. And I looked up on the board, and the time was still going. There's like a screen in the middle of the ring. Makes sense. And I thought, shit, I missed the finish. So I went, did like a circle, went through the what I thought was the finish line again, and they were still whistling, and the clock was going. I thought, doesn't make sense. I retired because I thought this is just a disaster. Came out, and you know, I missed the last jump. There was another rider that did exactly the same thing after me, was sitting in the chute. It made me feel a little bit better. <laughs> but I remember, I remember sitting in the stables, and uh, someone pulled my hoodie, and I was looking at so I turned around and said, I'm so, so sorry, you know. And embarrassed you in the stables, and he said, no, you're going to be hard enough on yourself. And we've all done it, you know. That's great. So, it was super bad, but it is what it is. So he was walking away, and I thought, you know, look, have you ever done that before? They said, yeah, of course I have. Not in front of 12,000 people, but <laughs> I have done it. <laughs> okay, so you felt you felt properly good about yourself after that. Yeah, yeah. I didn't want to miss that. But I guess, I mean, it's not funny at all, but probably the, the worst show was, I mean, to be honest, what disappointed was the World Championship last year. The mayor jumped very good the first round, and then the first round of the Nations Cup. Uh, she just didn't have it in her. And so for me, that was probably one of the lowest of my, my career. And experience-wise, I take a step back and I look back on it, and I can be a horseman and understand why. But in that moment, it's hard to control yourself and to understand. Absolutely. You know, you take four. I bought her as a six-year-old, you know, so it's a whole life of work to build up for that, and it doesn't go to plan. And that's where we talk about, you know, winning that gold medal. But maybe respecting the process and actually seeing I got her as a young horse and produced all the way up to there. So the process has been amazing. And last year, she did three five-star Grand Prix and was placed in two of them. So the That's process amazing. was amazing. But the, the, the last bit was not, but we, we're going to learn and we'll get better. And, mm. um, and then Penny said, I should also um, mention that you guys broke down on the ring road of Madrid in rush hour traffic with, she said, the horrible old green truck. Yeah, but I, I mean, we're here. I mean, I, I don't know. I wasn't there. I was, I was with my new girlfriend. <laughs> no, was, was that your mother by herself? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course. Someone has to work. <laughs> I love that. Okay. That was good. But I left her. So we eventually, we saved her eventually. Gave her a few hours. there to struggle. Uh, you know, the gearbox fell through. So we had to, we, we had to tow it off the ring road. And, uh, you know, the truck lived there for about three or four weeks. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. No one yeah, in Madrid complained it. about it. No, no, not actually. No, I'm like, we took it off the ring road. It was on a farm, but we oh, okay, okay. for a while. Yeah, no, in South <laughs> Africa, we would just leave it on the side of the road. So, you know. Of course. 
Is there anything else you want to add, Oliver? We haven't got any questions for you, um, surprisingly, uh, in the um, chat. Again, it's it's just that, like I said, if I can leave anything, it's there's a right way to do things, you know, and it doesn't mean I'm not ambitious and that I don't want to win everything, and, and I do, and I'm the most ambitious person in the world. I mean, you know, we, we've got this, this, this card game at the moment, five crowns, and if I'm not winning, I'm, I'm foul, and I don't like to play it. <laughs> so I'm like highly ambitious everything I do and competitive, but there is still a right way to do things, you know. Yeah. And I think if we can respect the horses, and, and it's not about not working hard or being tougher than that, if you give them a smack, that 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 is that. I mean, there's strong love, but still going in the field, it's all these little things, you know, respecting them as being living beings and friends. They're not just there to work. And so if we can have a few of these things, I think if anyone younger and all the generations listening to this and they're trying to change things, you'd be surprised at the performance you can get into it, you know. So yeah, I think absolutely. if anything, please yeah, try to be more, have a little more empathy and, and, and love towards them. I like that. That's yeah. really great. What's your next show coming up? Well, the plan has been a little bit, a little bit messy. I was supposed to, I, we did a lever in January and then I was supposed to go to Doha with the global team. Wow. Uh, but yet, uh, rightfully so, I butterfly needed a break after the World Games. So um, mm-hmm. John and, and Marcus have had a great World Cup season. Uh, so Jan Tops has decided that they should go to Doha, which is which is absolutely the right decision. So then I thought, oh, what do I do? I haven't jumped into the World Cups indoors, and I've sort of been waiting for Doha. So Jan said, then I waited home in February, and then I go down to a lever in March. But this, we've had a big outbreak of EH, um, the equine horse uh, virus, so it's been a bit of a disaster. They've cancelled a lot of the tours, so I've cancelled that. Um, and there's not much else. We have Dunbosch next week, and then Paris two five stars, but it's a bit too late for me to get into that. So I'm going to do a herning. There's a three-star next weekend in, in Denmark, actually where the World Games were, but yes. indoors. So I'm going to go up there, and then I'll come back, do a few of the Young Horse National shows in the area, and then Miami, Mexico, part of the, the global that's amazing. Yeah. That's, that's quite a yeah. trip. How do the horses do with that? That's, yeah. that's they fly really people. well. Yeah, they fly really well. Um, actually easier than driving, so they're used to it. I mean, they, they live, in, live in transport, so mm. they'll hop on. I don't know where they fly out of Schiphol or Liege. And I think they fly into Miami. It's one-day quarantine. And then onto the show, they're on the beach. Yes, that's outstanding. And then they'll finish. Yeah, I don't know. When, I think we finish Saturday is the Grand Prix. Sunday is a, is a big jump of class. And then they'll fly, I guess, Sunday night straight to Mexico City. When next yeah. are you going to be in South Africa? It's oh, a good question. <laughs> I, I Your mother asked me to ask you that. She asked me that, yeah. Um, definitely again this year. Uh, it wasn't going to come out now last week. And I just thought... The, the season's heating up. I haven't been home in two and a half years, and I just want to just want to touch base and be be at be at home, um, and have no plans. And that's what I did. Just ate and had fun and hang around my friends, and it was it was just it was perfect. It gave me a real kick and a real a real lift. Um, so sometime this year, towards the end of the year, yeah. it's your equivalent of going out in the paddock for a few hours. I think my little paddock exactly. Okay, <laughs> little buck. Yeah. Oliver, thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us tonight. It's, it's really so lovely to be able to connect and just touch base with someone who's really living the dream. I know you don't always maybe feel like that, but I think it's really good for people to hear that and get that perspective. And we're so looking forward to supporting you. Oh, sorry. We've got a, we've got a, a late entry for the, for the questions. Um, just before you go, someone wants to know what your typical yep. show warm-up would look like. Show it depends up, so largely on the would... horse. Largely on the horse, but it's quite you know, okay, the, the, the actual technical side of it, but the, the system is very much the same. So we'll ride them in the morning. Normally the bigger classes are in the evening or in the late afternoon. So you will exercise in the morning. I'll sit on them around half an hour. 
tennis like an athlete. I treat my horses just like a pro athlete. So I read a lot of sports books and because I find it interesting what they do. So it's much the same. So in the morning would be a stretch, not intense cardio work, but it's sort of a stretch uh, and loosening of the muscles. So it's a half an hour, a lot of walk, a bit of lateral movement, a bit of light trotting canter, and just getting them out. Then around 45 minutes before my start number, depending on where I'm going or what type of class it is, I'll get on, try to do as much walk as possible, light trot, light canter, just to make sure everything is working. So a bit of counter canter, just the little details of the horse are listening to my aids, a little bit of forward, backwards, and you're not going to fix anything. It's too close. So it's just the little fine details. Then depending on the horse, I mean, some horses need a big warm-up, a big jumps. Uh, other horses, very little, you know. Um, but generally, I'm a rider that doesn't jump very big. At home, I never jump, never jump bigger than sort of 135, 140 max. Oh. And the warm-up is quite the same. It's even if I go into a, a five-star Grand Prix, I'll jump maybe up to 140, uh, small 145, and then a very tall vertical to go in. Um, but it's very easy. Like I said, I don't, you're not going to fix anything. The work has all been done at home. And my also my way of mentally dealing with things is that I've done the work at home. And That's now absolutely. it's just about warming the muscles up. Yeah, mm. So it's actually very easy, keeping it easy and simple. Yeah, I love that. It's also a case of you can't really be doing grade 10 at home and then arrive to write your matric exam. You have to be doing the matric work no. at home before you get there. That, that's it. So we love, have everything. It's all about I love that you yeah. say you're not going to fix it at the show. And I think that's a really that's, important thing. You see, you see people often trying to fix something, and it's too, it's too late. It's great. It's late, late. And then you know, also mentally, you're not, you're not there when you go in the ring. You mm. should be at sort of at a peace you know, in a flow with the animal. And if you're there, worried about this and it's not working, it's, it's probably not going to work. You know? mm. That's lovely. Thank you. The floor yep. is officially closed for questions. Oliver, thank you so much for, for taking the time to speak to us. We're really looking forward to tracking. The, the year ahead that you have and hopefully on to next year, um, looking towards uh, Paris. Um, thank you again for your time and, and lots of good luck. Thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for joining us tonight at this the South African Equestrian Federation podcast from the horse's mouth. My name is Georgie Roberts. I've been your host and we're looking forward to seeing you again next week, Wednesdays at 7 o'clock.